Welcome to the High Praises Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's student pastor Evan Sastar. Hey, last summer, Elizabeth and I, my wife, we went on vacation to the Dominican Republic. And so we were going to a resort that was very like hyped up and was supposed to be just absolutely amazing. And so we were all excited about it. And the trip ended up not really going like we thought it would in like a thousand different ways. One of the ways, though, was my fault, like completely. You see, as we were researching this resort, they made it very clear that at dinner time, for like most of the restaurants, there were very strict dress standards. You had to have a collared shirt and you had to have pants on. Well, months later, and it's time for me to pack, and the responsible adult I am, all I can think about is like tropical vacation. So I only pack shorts, not a single pair of pants. So when I get there, I'm going through my stuff, and I realize, Elizabeth, I did not pack pants. She's like, you got to find some pants. Like, we're not going to be able to eat this entire trip. You've got to get pants. So I go up to the front desk, and I'm, like, pretty embarrassed, and I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry. I forgot pants. Do you have any pants? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this happens all the time. We'll get you some pants. The only pair of pants they had available to loan to me was a dark blue pair of suit pants that did not even have a button. For the entire trip, I had to wear shirts meant to go with shorts, suit pants, and dirty white tennis shoes, and I didn't have a belt or a button, so I'm walking everywhere like this. (laughs) It was miserable. But because I had that pair of pants on, I was able to have access to all the different restaurants we were able to eat and survive and to like kind of enjoy our trip while Elizabeth made fun of me, and I was embarrassed the whole time. But, but without the proper clothing, I couldn't get in. With the things that I had in my own bag, I didn't have access. I had to wear what was given to me by the resort. And as I think about that story, I realize that it actually teaches us something about our relationship with God. And, and here's what I mean. On our own, without God, we are separated from God. We don't have access to his presence. Because on our own, we are born in sin. We are born unholy. We are born impure. We live our lives not just separated from the presence of God, but actively rejecting the presence of God. Lord, I don't want anything to do with you. And yet God wants to call us back into his presence. And if we don't have God, we don't have anything. If if I don't have the one who is life, then I'm spiritually and physically dead and on my way to hell. If I don't have the one who is light, then I'm walking in the darkness, searching for purpose, for meaning, for morality, never really finding it. If I don't have the Lord who is righteousness, then I'm in my sin day after day after day. I need his presence. But on my own, I can't get to God. But thankfully, the Lord has made a way. I don't have anything in myself to get back to the presence of God. He has to clothe me in something I don't have on my own. 
And 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came and he lived and he died and he rose again so that I may be clothed in his righteousness and his perfection and his purity so that I can step in wearing his righteousness back to the presence of God again. Come on, can you give Jesus praise today? And so that's why today we are actually looking at the book of Leviticus. So if you would, would you stand with me today? Leviticus is everyone's favorite book to skip in their Bible reading plan. It wasn't audible, but I could feel a collective groaning in the room. Like I brought a friend today and we're doing Leviticus. See some of you pulling pillows out. I'm just kidding. I know Leviticus is a book that many of us skip. I, I get it. It's very foreign and it's very difficult. And in just a moment, I'm going to read all of Leviticus chapter 1. And uh, it's going to be a pretty detailed description of a burnt offering of a sacrifice. And what I invite you to do today is don't zone out. Don't clock out. Don't, don't do what we naturally want to do when we encounter something foreign and difficult. Today, I invite you to lean in. Listen to how intricate the details are. Listen to how bloody and gory and honestly weird it is. Listen to what God required of Israel and expect the Holy Spirit to speak to us today and ultimately point us to what Jesus has done on the cross. So if you would, Leviticus chapter 1, we're going to read the whole first chapter. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar." But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. If his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep, or of the goats as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And the priest Aaron's sons shall shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. And he shall cut it into its pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar Ring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out at the sides of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place for ashes. 
Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. So here is what is going on in the context of the exciting book of Leviticus. God has just claimed his people. They were trapped in Egyptian bondage in Egypt. He does all these amazing miracles, and he claims these people out of Egypt. And he says, I want to make you into a nation. Like, I'm going to be your king. You are going to be my citizens. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm calling you out of the wicked nations of the world with a distinct purpose. He says, I want you to be, you will be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. I'm calling you out from among the wicked nations to form my own nations. You're going to be the light of the world. You're going to be the difference maker. You're going to show what it's like to be a people living under the guidance and lordship of Yahweh. God wants them to be a holy people. And so every nation needs a system of laws. And so Leviticus is that book. It gives us the laws of the nation of Israel. And what is its purpose? That they would be a holy nation. It teaches them how to be set apart from everyone else and to love the Lord and to reflect the Lord and to build a just society. Now, Leviticus has all kinds of different laws in it. It's got laws about offering and sacrifice, about the priesthood. It's got laws just like any other nation about how to be just, about how to live in a particular society. But here's what I love about the first part of Leviticus. Leviticus does not begin with the sort of on-the-ground political laws like we're used to. Like, it doesn't begin with don't murder people, don't steal it doesn't begin with sexual laws. It doesn't begin with kind of that practical stuff that we think about. It begins with offering and sacrifice. Now, why does it begin with offering and sacrifice? God's making a theological point. He doesn't begin with do all of these things perfectly, and then I'll accept you. He begins with, I know you're unholy. I know you're sinful, you don't deserve to be in my presence anyways, and I'll graciously provide a means for you to be holy in my sight and to dwell in my presence. I will give you a sacrifice that you may remain with me. It is God's grace. It is God's mercy. I know you can't measure up, so I'll give you something to remain with me. And so we can go ahead and just kind of dispel any kind of popular myth that we have that the Old Testament is all about God's people working their way to salvation and they've got to be the perfect people and they fail at that and God realizes that doesn't work so he goes to plan B and he sends Jesus. I want you to hear me today. God's plan of salvation from day one has always been by grace through faith and the sacrifice and provision he offers. That's what this is about. So Leviticus chapter 1 is a description of what's called the burnt offering. There were all kinds of different offerings and sacrifices in Leviticus. Um, it deals with it through Leviticus 1 through 7. But the first one is the burnt offering. So what I'd like to do today is just to walk you through how they would offer this offering 
and then give you kind of the spiritual principles or points. God is speaking to Israel, to his people, a particular message. And likewise, he wants to speak something to you and I today. So the burnt offering, what would happen? First and foremost, the burnt offering is what's called a free will offering, meaning this, it's not commanded. God doesn't say every whatever particular day, you have to do this. He doesn't command every individual Israelite, you have to bring this offering. It's a free will offering. What is God requiring of his people? I want you to be a people who worship me, who honor me, who offered to me, who give themselves to me of their own free will. I want you to worship me not just by bare commandment, but because you desire to and you want to. It is a free will offering. The second thing that we see is that the offering should be taken from livestock. Um, usually the offering would be like a bull, a lamb, or a goat. And in those days, to offer that animal to God was costly. Folks didn't just have animals lying around to sacrifice. They didn't just have thousands of these animals at their disposal. To give this animal to God was to give up something of value, something that meant something. It was to take precious food and surrender it to God and trust him with it. What is God saying to Israel? I want your sacrifice to be costly. Serving me will be costly. Your worship towards me will be costly. You don't give me the leftovers. I am Yahweh. I am I am. You will give me your best. But what else about the sacrifice? He says that the sacrifice must be pure. It has to be spotless. It has to be unblemished. What does he mean by that? That visually, whatever animal you bring can't have anything wrong with it. Like it has to be pure and clean, so it can't have any broken bones. It can't have any weird skin diseases. It can't be walking with a limp. There can be nothing visually wrong with the animal. It has to be pure and spotless. Why? Well, he kind of gives us insight. He says that you're going to take that pure and spotless animal, and the offerer is going to lay their hands on it so that it would accurately represent them before God, that it would be an offering on their behalf. For what purpose? To make atonement. That's an English word that just means at one met. It's an offering so that Israel and God could be together again. What is God saying? Israel, on your own, you and I are separate. On your own, you and I are not together. On your own, you are spiritually wicked and impure, and you need something perfect and righteous and clean to stand in your place. And so you offer a clean and pure and holy animal to the Father. Why? So that standing in your place, standing in your stead, Israel could stand before a mighty and a holy God that they may have access to his presence. In fact, the very location of the sacrifice lets us in on this. You see, it was sacrificed and it was burnt at the altar. 
And all of this took place in this little area called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And so that was this big kind of fenced in enclosed area. And so at the very entrance, you have the altar. This is where it was sacrificed. This is where the offering was burnt at. But behind it, there was this building there. And in the building, only the priests could go. And you had the holy place, and you had this little curtain. And behind that, you had what's called the most holy place. This was the place of God's manifest presence. This is where God dwelt in his holiness. This is where God, like, tangibly showed up. Only the high priest could go there once a year. What is the statement being made? The only way into God's presence is first through the altar. The only way back there is if you first come through here. The only way to get to God is by offering something to him. We surrender to the Lord. Finally, why is this called a burnt offering? Because once the animal was slaughtered and the blood was applied to the altar, they would chop it up, they would start a fire on the altar, and they would burn the whole animal there. And in fact, this is what sets the burnt offering apart from every other offering. It is that the entire animal was given to God. You see, in other offerings, the priests and their families got to eat some of the meat. Some of it was left behind. In fact, in some of the fellowship offerings, even the person who brought it got to eat some of it. They could even invite members of the community over, and they'd have a big meal. But what sets this offering apart is every last bit of it was given to God. In fact, why do you think that this offering comes first? It's Leviticus 1. Not two, not three, not four, one. Why? Because God is telling Israel, the basis of your relationship with me is that you will not give me 50% of you, 75% of you, 99% of you. I want all of you. And then when it's said and done, it said that this offering, this sacrifice would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, the Bible is not saying that God has a nose and has a big old sniffer and he just wants you to roast something good so that he can smell something good and then he accepts you. That's not how God works. This is human language. This is God kind of condescending to us. This is God saying, when everything is offered properly, I will accept you. You smell good. It's pleasing to me. And if the sacrifice is pleasing, then the offerer is pleasing. And they are welcomed in to my presence. I kind of think about it like this. My house all the time has all kinds of different smells. Like I wake up in the morning, I usually brew coffee. That's a strong smell. My, my wife loves burning candles. That's a good smell. But one of my favorite smells is when Elizabeth is cooking dinner. Like I love to smell some dinner. And my wife is a good cook. Like, I'll just say it, and I'm not, like, blowing smoke. She's a good cook. And so she, she does all these little creative things. Like, some weeks she'll do a themed week. So one week we had, like, Italian week, and everything was Italian. Well, this next week is going to be Southern week, and I'm looking forward to it. But she gave me a little preview this weekend. 
And so I came into the house this weekend, and she's whipping up something good. I mean, she's got the greasiest ham possible cooking. She's got sweet cornbread bacon. She's got pinto beans, cabbage. She whipped up an apple cobbler. She made sweet tea. We never have that. It was perfect. I could not wait to sit down at the dinner table. It was a pleasing smell. And ultimately, what did it do for me? It gave me life. I was ready to eat that food. I felt good afterwards. But earlier that same morning, I was woken up at 6.30 a.m. to someone, namely August, my little boy, screaming bloody murder. And I opened the door, and the moment I stepped into that room, I smelt a very distinct smell. The smell of number two. (laughs) It was brutal. And so what I had to do, man, I got to take care of business. And I'm like holding my breath and I'm trying to get that diaper and the little metal trash can that's supposed to contain the smell. I don't want to smell that. I'm, I'm trying to get that away. Some smells draw us to something that gives us life. Some smells send us away. What is God saying that on your own, You are a foul stench, and he sends you away. But through a perfect and righteous offering and sacrifice, standing in your place, you are pleasing to him, and he is drawing near to you. And so what does this mean for you and I today? It means that on your own, you are dead in your sins, separated from the presence of God, You are guilty of your sins and you're under judgment. You're separated from the Lord who is life. And so you're dead spiritually and you're on your way to death physically. It means that you're separated from the one who is light. And you can't see where you're going without Jesus. And you're looking for purpose. You're looking for meaning. You're looking to get something out of this life and nothing satisfies you. You're looking for hope because you're separated from the one who is your hope. Can I make sense of this deep, dark world and all of its suffering? Does anything get better? And you can do nothing to get close to God again. You can't bring a free will offering. Your will is every which way making gods out of everything in this world. You think you can deliver yourself to God completely? A pure sacrifice, what do you have to give God that could honor him? You could give him everything you own, and it wouldn't be anything. You're going to be a burnt offering to satisfy him? And yet we worship all kinds of various things, money, sex, power, whatever it is. You on your own are not enough. But 2,000 years ago, God became a man. And he became the perfect, spotless, burnt offering for you. Talk about a free will offering. Jesus says, no one takes my life. I lay it down and pick it up again for you. Talk about a costly offering. What is more costly and priceless than the precious body and blood of God himself? 
You want to talk about a pure offering. He was tempted and made every way like us except without sin. Talk about laying your hands on the animal. He stood in our place, was declared a guilty criminal at the cross that you could be declared forgiven and righteous. For he who knew no sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God. You want to talk about a whole burnt offering. Jesus gave 33 years to God the Father in perfection. Facing his own death, he said, Father, if you can take this away, take it. But if not, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is the pleasing aroma by which you and I are accepted before God, by which he draws near to us, by which we have access to his presence again. And he took our human nature, rose from the grave, and now ascended to the true holy of holies, the presence of God, and one day you will follow him too. It is through Jesus that we have access to his presence. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there's righteousness and forgiveness and life in my spirit and life in my body at the resurrection and hope and wisdom and everything I need through Jesus. But God is not only calling us to trust in Jesus, The principle still stands that I should access God through his sacrifice, and yet I'm still to be a living sacrifice. Doesn't Paul say that in view of the mercies of God, I should consider my life as a living sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to the Lord? That my life should be patterned around Jesus. That I should pick up my cross, my tool of death, and die to myself that I may surrender my whole life to God every single day. You see, Jesus is your burnt offering, but you are meant to be a burnt offering too. You are called to surrender your whole life, your will, your desires, your body, your plans, your everything to the worship and to the glory of God. Nothing is to be left. And I didn't read it, but in another section over in Leviticus chapter 6, God gives a few more um, instructions on the burnt offering. And he says this, Not only are you to offer the entire animal on the altar, but the fire of the altar is to never run out. You're going to let that thing burn all night, clean up the ashes, And put another sacrifice on in the morning. God is telling Israel, I don't just want all of you. I want all of you all the time. And God is speaking to you today. He doesn't just want all of you. He wants all of you all the time. And so my question for you today is this. Is there anything in your life that you're holding back from the altar? Is your burnt offering incomplete? Is there a part of your life that you are clinging to because it's costly, because it's valuable to you that you're not ready to surrender to God? What is it today? Could it be money? 
that money has captured your heart. It's all you think about. Working is all you think about. Making money is all you care about. In fact, you love money so much that when it comes to helping someone in need in any way or keeping it yourself, you're in this camp because it's become your security. Is it your job? That you are so obsessed with getting the power or the recognition or the authority or the whatever it is that you're denying God and your family to achieve something that you can't cling to forever. And you know deep down it's wrong. What is it in your life that you're clinging to? Can I speak as a youth pastor? And can I get on a soapbox just barely? Are you worshiping your kids? (laughs) more than you're worshiping the Lord Jesus? Are you holding them back? I love activities. I love all of that. But have you put their dreams and their desires and their activity and their schedule above your family's spiritual health and everyone suffering for it? They're at school all day and then go to practice all day. And then all weekend they're gone at whatever the band concert or the drama thing is or the sports thing is and you're gone all day too. I'm not even talking about coming to youth group. Are you so exhausted that you can't give them Jesus? There's no time left for the devotional. There's no time left for the Jesus talk. You're so tired at dinner, you can barely get through the blessing. Are you teaching your kids to sacrifice more for them than to God? I know that that's tough. I'm not even talking about youth group. I'm just talking about your kids. Listen to me, my greatest fear is they turn 18 and leave the faith. And you're going, I don't know what happened. I've got some ideas. We are to surrender our everything to God, even when it's precious and it's costly and it hurts. I'm begging you, give your all to Jesus. But maybe it's not that. Maybe you're struggling to give your all to Jesus all the time. That the pattern of your life for the past year, two years, three years, five years is this. Up and down and up and down and up and down. That you get on fire for God and you're involved in church and you're getting in ministry and you're living right and you're kicking sin out of your life and you're reading your Bible. And then whatever the next thing is comes along and takes you away for the next six months. And then you come to the altar and the, uh, you know, cry and whatever. And then you get back in and you just start the cycle over again. Today, I'm calling you to break the cycle. Quit putting the fire of the altar out. Turn it on and never let it run out. Give your all to Jesus all of the time. Finally, I want to speak to offering in a much more positive sense. Maybe today you're thinking, Evan, I want to give my life to God. I want to give my all to him, and and I want to give it in a positive sense, but I I feel like I don't have anything. What I mean is this, is I would love to give large sums of money, but I'm, I'm barely scraping by as it is. I would love to give my time, but I've got four kids, and I work a job, and I'm just, I'm struggling as it is. I would love to give more talents, but I don't, I don't feel like I have anything. I just don't feel like I'm that gifted. I can't sing. I can't do whatever this. I, I don't know what I can do. I want to give this. I want to give that, but I just don't feel like my sacrifice means anything. God required that a costly sacrifice be given. 
bull, a goat, a lamb was expensive. But for those who couldn't give it, he said, you can just bring a bird. You can bring a turtle dove. I know it's not much in the grand scheme of things, but it's much to you. And I'm not going to turn it away because it's not some big thing. I'm going to accept it gladly because it cost you something. It reminds me of the story in the New Testament that all the folks are going to worship and Jesus observes all of the rich men casting money in the treasury. And they're giving large sums. And he sees an old frail woman give two little coins. And he says, do you see that woman over there? She's given far more than any of those men. For they gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her lack. And I want to encourage you today, whatever you have to give to God, however big, however small, whatever impact you think you'll make, surrender it to him. If it's $5 to someone in need, give them $5. If you can only serve at church at one event a year, show up, get a t-shirt, we'll bring you on the team. If you say, I don't know the Bible that well, but I'm going to share the gospel with folks at my work, you share that gospel. You do whatever it is, knowing it's pleasing to him, and don't you worry about what anybody else is doing or thinks. Bring your offering to him. So church, if you would, would you stand today? And I want to invite you here down to these altars. Thankfully, there is no pyrotechnics going on today. Nobody's getting burned. But I do want to invite you down when the band comes out. And as you're down here, I want you to think about three things. One, I just want you to spend some time praising Jesus. He's your perfect offering. And it's through him you have access to God and all of his gifts. Two, is there anything in your life that you're holding back? Is there anything you need to come down here and symbolically place on the altar? Maybe you're not a Christian today and you need to repent and place your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're a Christian serving him a long time but the Spirit has convicted you today. Give that to him. And finally, if there's something in your life that you want to give to God but even you feel it's insignificant, I want you to take this time to say, Lord, it's yours. However big, however small, but I'm giving my offering and my life to you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.